Hello, and welcome to the Cybersecurity Awesomeness Podcast, hosted by Enterprise Management Associates, an industry-leading IT analyst research firm that provides deep insights across the full spectrum of IT and data management technologies. The Cybersecurity Awesomeness Podcast will take a deep dive into the security topics that are top of mind for information security practitioners, IT professionals, and technology business leaders. Join security experts Chris Steffen, VP of Research at EMA, and Ken Buckler, Research Analyst at EMA, for some truly awesome topics. Chris and Ken, take it away. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Awesomeness Podcast. I am your host. My name is Chris Steffen. Joining me today is my friend and colleague, Mr. Ken Buckler. Today, we are going to talk about something that's been in the news, and whether you realize that this is important or not, it really is. And that's the latest Securities Exchange Commission finding on cybersecurity. If you've been following the news at all, you know that the government has been paying closer attention just in general to cybersecurity, which is good. I don't have any particular problem with that. Now the SEC is getting involved and basically saying, hey, if you're going to do some of these things, maybe we should have some oversight into how you're reporting and what you're saying and who's on your boards and and what have you. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about some of those findings. And I think it's going to be kind of interesting, kind of a little bit of a departure from some of the things that we usually talk about. But again, it's one of those things that is top of mind for a lot of your executive leadership right now. And it should be um, whenever the SEC comes out with a finding that directly impacts how a company has to operate, you should be paying attention. And so let's let's start that conversation. So Ken, uh, again, hello to you. Um, I know that you have been reading up on some of this as well. Tell me what some of the initial things that you found were. Well, so so you know, right off the bat, one of the most important things about this is that these new rules, of course, because they're being issued by the SEC, they only apply to publicly traded companies. So now any company that is privately owned. They don't have to worry about these rules as much. With yeah. Okay. Said, I'm gonna. It's but hold on. Good. good I'm gonna stop you right there. Okay. So when the SEC puts out a ruling, or any of these big, big regulatory bodies puts out a ruling, yes, it is applicable only to specific publicly traded and so on and so forth. But the reality of it is, is that. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And so what you end up taking and seeing more times than not is something that I've referred to and we've talked about on this podcast before, something called pass down compliance. Whereas if you want to do business with Bob's Big Bank and Trust, which is obviously a publicly traded company, you will adhere to those rules. It's not even a nice to have. It's a, you don't even get to talk to us until you can demonstrate that you are following some of this new guidance. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and I don't think the, the guidance is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's, it's definitely a good step in the right direction. You know, so, the, so there's two parts to it. Uh, the, the one part is uh, disclosure mandates. The other part, as far as data breaches, the other part is uh, mandates for disclosing cybersecurity practices to investors. So I, I think that the, the, disclosure of the breaches is probably going to be the the very interesting but also very needed part uh for the public at large that they're really going to care about and that's the basically 
when you have a, a data breach, you're going to have a four day window to disclose that that data breach now. Um, where I'm not sure what the the current regulations were, but I think it was probably much much larger, probably around 30 days, I suspect. So now you you've suddenly you know made that very small window for disclosing that hey we've had a data breach and that you know this is what was compromised. Now obviously four days might not be enough time to actually figure out what all was truly compromised, but hey, at least people get a, a heads up that, oh, hey, I've done business with this company. Now my identity might uh, be at risk. I should start monitoring my credit, et cetera. What I find interesting about that, when long ago in a previous part of my career, we would have you know the potential of having a data breach all the time. And we were given very, very specific instructions from law enforcement. Th- think of all the three-letter acronyms that you can think of that basically said, hey, you know what? That's great. Thank you for letting us know. We're going to investigate from here. We need to do our due diligence, find out if it's the Russian mafia, if it's a nation state, which, by the way, it was nearly all the time, or what what was going on. They wanted to collect their intelligence before we put the clamp down on everything that's going on. We obviously didn't want data exfiltration, and we did our due diligence there, and, and they obviously were they were invested in helping us remediate and whatever have you, but they also don't want you to shut the pipeline down until for sure they can identify what's going on. Four days is not enough. I mean, again, you can get a pretty good sense of what's going on, you know, hopefully with the right tooling and the right support within 24 or 48 hours. But then taking and doing a forensic investigation is not something that happens overnight. It doesn't happen in any situation overnight. It doesn't happen, you know, in a murder scene. It doesn't happen in an arson scene. It's something that takes time. And arguably, even the the most basic investigations take a week, sometimes a couple of weeks, just to get the groundwork done to understand exactly what's going on. During that time, yes, I think that you can do some notifications, but I don't know if it's really very realistic to share with the entire world. Here's what's happened. Here's how it's remediated. Here's what we're doing going forward because those plans take time. Right. Well, and also keep in mind too, that, you know, there's certain information that you're not going to want to disclose until the investigation is wrapped up in, in that, you know, Hey, we don't want the adversaries to be tipped off that, you know, we actually have traced them through this path or whatever. Now, with that said, that also should not be an excuse to just long delay investigations in perpetuity so that you never have to disclose either. So so I think we need to find a, a right balance. And I, I think the four-day window, it might be, as you say, it might be a little bit too short to, to actually disclose everything. But I think that, you know, at the same time, having that, hey, you need to new, make your initial disclosure within four days. I think that might be reasonable. Yeah, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know if I have a particular problem with the, the length of time. It'll matter how it's adjudicated and w- what the requirements are actually going to be. And, and nobody knows that the SEC doesn't know yet either. They're going to get commentary and try to mash that out when it's all said and done. That's the current problem with how regulations read today. I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait forever to kind of decide what I'm going to do because 
let's just face it. Nobody wants to announce to the world that they're breached. That isn't a happy conversation to be having, right? And so I understand how people don't want to be taking and having that kind of conversation, which frankly is probably exactly why the SEC came out with these rules to begin with. Well, and maybe we need to approach it not from a perspective of, oh no, you know, something bad happened because it was a breach, but of, you know, approach it from, hey, we've been expecting this to happen. Here's what we did to mitigate it. Here's what we've done to address it. We had a plan in place. The plan is working. And that, that's the, the more reasonable approach to it, I think. And, and speaking of plans, so, so this might be a good uh, segue into the, the second part of these new rules then, is part of the disclosure requirements now is that companies need to do annual filings that include uh, their processes for assessing, identifying, and managing material risks from cybersecurity threats. And that also includes how the board of directors have oversight of cybersecurity risks. So I, and Chris, you, you've been in more senior leadership roles when it comes to information security. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I don't have any particular problem with that. I think finally the day of the CISO to be able to go and do interesting things outside of just being the bit monkey that's in charge of security and the security tinfoil hat types, I think that day is finally here. Finally having a seat at the table, finally being able to voice an opinion and integrate directly with a business is the dream of every CISO. With that comes responsibility. And so you don't get to have one without the other. And now all of a sudden, you're going to have CISOs that are going to be in real oversight spotlight. The reason that it's particularly interesting is now all of a sudden it comes with liability. And so now all of a sudden you're not buried under four other C-levels. Sometimes it was the CISO reported to the CIO, which reported to the CFO, which reported to the CEO. And so by the time you got to the CISO, there was 12 layers of leadership in front of them. So who cares, right? Now, in theory, that CISO reports directly up to the CEO and the board of directors and is accountable to said entities. And now all of a sudden, if you are a publicly traded company, depending on how large you are, you're, you're now going to be signed up to be testifying in front of Congress. You have liability. Your name goes into your SEC filings, whatever have you. Well, that's interesting. I, I would also argue that the number of those types of people that are capable of providing that kind of executive leadership is limited. But now that if there is an SEC requirement that you have one of those kind of people, the demand for uh, qualified CISOs to be able to provide that kind of leadership at your organization is going to continue to increase. There is a lot of need for CISOs out there. If that is a career aspiration for you, you almost couldn't have a better time. The, the kicker is being qualified to be able to do it. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm excited about the idea of a CISO finally getting a seat at the table, finally being able to enact policy without 18 layers of oversight in, in front of them. It will be interesting to see how it plays out. So, so I'm curious, you know, how much more soft skills will CISOs now need? Because now they're going to be interfacing more directly with the board of directors. And I think that's going to become a challenge for some of the CISOs because a lot of them are probably going to be coming from a more technical background. And now they're going to have to explain technical information to non-technical folks. And I, I think that that might become more of a challenge for CISOs. But I, at the I same agree. Time, it's going to be a good thing. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, we've, we've talked about that a little bit before about using some of the, the latest tools to kind of soften that blow and, and help the CISO explain what's going on in the environment, whatever have you. It's going to, you know, those soft skills are very important. As I have mentioned before, my degree is not in computer science. My degree is in political science. And my degree in political science has helped me tremendously through the compliance and, and regulatory jargon that I've had to go through in my various executive stints get through. Whereas the technical background, which is what my minor is in, has been useful, but not nearly as impactful as the political science background and being able to navigate some of those regulations and using those soft skills accordingly. So yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying and completely agree. Well, in any case, I, I think it's all of this is really a step in the right direction, if uh, if you ask me, because I think that you know when you look at some of the more traditional public hacks, um, and, and I'll just you know pick on the the big box retailer that has a a, a red round uh, target on their back, if you if so to speak, <laughs> um, you know when you when you look at that kind of stuff, then you know this is the kind of stuff that's desperately needed is that we those publicly traded companies need more transparency and better visibility into the their processes and procedures so that the public and investors can understand what's happening behind the scenes how they're protecting the data how, what their plan is if a breach happens I fully agree I think that we're about out of time for today but I think that we covered this really well Again thank you for listening to today's podcast I hope this has been interesting for you stay tuned next week we'll be talking Again, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks, Chris and Ken, for all your great insights on today's topic. Make your next podcast awesome when you work with EMA security experts Chris Steffen or Ken Buckler. Educate your prospects, differentiate your solution, and add the credibility of a third-party expert to your message. Visit cybersecurityawesomeness.com to listen to past episodes.